Well, good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the great things about the Christian life is that we can come together and we can sing truth that actually matters and that is rooted in the revelation of God himself. That is not the creation of men, but it came down from heaven. What a joy it is to be able to sing those truths together and celebrate the victory of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 50. Follow along as I read. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that you will glorify yourself, that you will exalt the name of Jesus above all things, and that you will bless your word as it goes forth to change lives and to bring us into conformity to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. J. Todd Billings may be a name that you don't know, but I want to tell you a little bit about him. He is a theology professor at an academic institution. In 2012, at the age of 38, his life was changed drastically. After experiencing some unusual symptoms in his body, he finally went to see the doctor And uh, they ran some tests, and the results came back. He was diagnosed with with an inoperable, incurable form of blood cancer. His life changed. Now, instead of spending many hours in the library researching theological topics, now he spent most of his time receiving treatments to fight off the cancer. And the treatments went from the excruciatingly painful to the extremely draining and everything in between. But the most difficult part of this time in his life was that now Todd Billings had to come face to face with his own mortality. In a very real, almost terrifying sense, death started knocking at his door like never before. And he began to wrestle no longer with theological ideas, abstract theological ideas, but now he was wrestling with life itself because he was staring at his own mortality in the face and he began to deal with the question of hope. 
Todd wrote a book in which he writes a written record of his struggles with terminal illness. And in sharing his diagnosis with the world and in the midst of this fog, this darkness, this confusion, the, the questions and all the uncertainties, he said that many blessings actually came into his life. And, and I want to share one of those with you. He said this, and I quote, one blessing is that I have been able to explore and bear witness to the ways in which God's story intersects with the cancer story. How my cancer story is complicated and mysterious, but not nearly as compelling as the mystery of God's love made known to me in Jesus Christ. This opportunity came with the initial, initial announcement of my diagnosis, where I included the following words of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer, that I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he adds, my life is not my own, end quote. I believe we all need a bedrock upon which to cast our deepest fears, uncertainties, and anxieties. And why is this? It is because the world in which we live is surrounded by death and decay, even in our own bodies. We all need the assurance that change is possible. We all need the assurance that things will not remain the same forever, that decay will someday eventually stop, that something much better is coming and that our lives are secured both now and in the life to come. And I believe this is what Paul is doing here in the last section of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. He is providing for us that bedrock upon which to rest our hope. So to end his discussion on the reality of the resurrection of the body, he explains what the resurrection of Jesus actually brings. Namely, and here it is, here's the bottom line, the future transformation of our bodies. We shall all be changed. And to support this, he will emphasize three things about our future transformation. He will give us three facts concerning our future glorification, the change of our bodies. And then at the end, he will provide an applicatory conclusion in verse 58. So let me give you the first fact. You can follow along in your notes. I've provided a few notes there. Fact number one, we shall all be changed because number one, change is required. Change is required. Look at verse 50 once again. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. At first sight, it might look like Paul is contradicting himself because the whole point of chapter 15 is to tell us what? That our bodies will inherit eternal life, that we will be raised into eternal life. So what is Paul telling us? Well, in verse 50, Paul explains essentially that there are two modes of existence, two modes of existence, the perishable mode of existence and the imperishable mode of existence, the mortal mode of existence and the immortal mode of existence. And Paul's purpose is here to make a contrast between these two. And how does he does this? He does this very forcefully by explaining to us that these two modes of existence 
cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. In other words, that which is bound to perish cannot enjoy communion with that which will never perish. Perish. These two modes of existence cannot coexist. The perishable cannot have a place in that which is imperishable. It is a very black and white distinction. In other words, if you are mortal, that means you cannot live in a place that demands immortality. You are either made to live underwater or you are not. And you are currently presently bound to a certain mode of existence that you can't get out of. You and I are trapped in a mode of existence that has been assigned to us. So last week, we heard an analogy. And I want to mention a little bit of that again. The, the fish. Uh, the fish is, is made to live underwater. I know that's, that's news to you, right? The fish is made to live underwater and, and the fish is bound to stay there. The fish can't come out of the water for too long without dying. The fish has been assigned a mode of existence that forces it to stay below the surface. Well then, what is our current mode of existence right now? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 15. And he says, our current mode of existence is what he calls flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. What is that? What is flesh and blood? He explains what that is in the same verse. Look at verse 50 again. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable. What is flesh and blood? Flesh and blood is another way of talking about that which will perish, that which is perishable. That is our current mode of existence. And we are bound to that mode of existence. We can't get out of that mode of existence. Our bodies are perishing. Sad news, isn't it? Our bodies are perishing. Our bodies are moral. Our bodies are in, in constant state of decay. It does not matter how much you try to deny that reality. Our bodies are never getting any younger. We were all exposed to illnesses and infections, changes, and ultimately to death itself. Our bodies are perishing. What's the point? Why does Paul talk about this? Why, why talking about flesh and blood? Why does he bring this up? Well, it is actually a pretty obvious point if you think about it. The kingdom of God, which I believe means the kingdom, the, the final consummation of all things that he talked about in verse 24, that kingdom belongs to the mode of existence which is immortal, imperishable, and incorruptible because God is all those things. Our bodies are the opposite of all that. Therefore, the obvious question that Paul has in mind and he, he is anticipating is this. Paul, how in the world are we ever going to be able to be in that place? And that's a good question. And Paul is anticipating that question and he will answer that question. And here's the answer. Our current, current bodies cannot be there. Our bodies need to be transformed. So he's establishing a fact your bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God because of the way they are. But they will be different. They won't remain the same. We will have our bodies, but they will be different. There is a required transformation. Now, this leads Paul to the second point, which, is, which is follows in his logic. And the second point, the second fact of our future transformation is the following. Let me give, you, let me give it to you. We shall all be changed. 
because change is certain. Change is certain. Let's read verses 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, the imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. What is a mystery? I tell you a mystery. What is a mystery? A mystery in this case does not refer to something that is incomprehensible or something that we cannot understand. A mystery in the language of the Apostle Paul refers to something that used to be hidden from knowledge, but has now been revealed. Used to be unknown, but now is known. Well, what is that mystery? Well, he says, he says what the mystery is. We shall not all sleep. What does that mean? Well, the word sleep is a softer way of speaking about death. So Paul says that we will not all die. You see, Paul is anticipating a question, or maybe he's simply introducing something new. Whatever the case might be, this was not known back then. You see, the Old Testament speaks of the dead being raised in the last days. You can go to the book of Job, chapter 19. Psalm 73, Isaiah 26, Daniel chapter 12. They all speak about the dead being raised from the dead. But what about those who are still alive when the Lord returns? The answer is clear and it's simple. He says, we shall all be changed. Whether you are dead or alive, it won't make a difference. We will all be transformed when Jesus returns. Some of us will be dead when that happens. Some will be alive. It doesn't matter. We will all be transformed in our bodies. It is a certainty. It will happen. We will have different bodies. Now look at the type of transformation that it will be. What kind of transformation will this be? We know two things about this transformation. Number one is this. It will be instantaneous. Instantaneous. Listen to it again. But we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. In a moment. What is a moment? A moment uh, can be difficult to define, right? It depends on how you define what a moment is. Uh, think about an awkward moment. It can be a long moment, right? If you say something weird or silly, I've had many of those. A moment can be long. I... Uh, I still remember uh, <laughs> back in Chile, this was many years ago, I, uh, I had a, a female friend. Uh, she used to go to our church, and uh, I don't know if I should share this story or not, but anyway. <laughs> I remember we were really good friends, and, um, and all of a sudden she, she disappeared from church for, for many months, and I, I don't remember the reasons for that, but... Uh, uh, one day after many months, uh, she came back to church and she showed up on a Sunday and I was like, wow, she, man, she looked very different. She looked so different. And so I went up to her and I was, I remember I was young and kind of silly. And uh, so I went up to her and I said, hey, it's, it's, it's so good to see you. And um, I, I didn't know you were pregnant. And she said, what? <laughs> she said, I'm not. Well, anyway... We, 
we had a moment. <laughs> that was a moment. I remember that I, I quickly got out of that situation. I don't know how I did it, but it was just a few seconds. But I remember just how long it felt, uh, that, that quick moment. Or how about when the preacher says, you know, we'll be done in just a moment. What, what is a moment? How do we define a moment? We're talking about a change in the future transformation of our bodies. What is a moment? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess what Paul meant when he said that we will be transformed in a moment. We don't have to speculate for how long that will be. In fact, in the original language, Paul is very specific regarding this particular moment of our transformation in the future. The Greek word that he uses is the word atomos. Does that sound familiar? It doesn't? That's the word from which we get the word Adam. Adam. What's the point? It is so short. It is so fast that you cannot think of anything shorter. It is an indivisible amount of time. This will be a fast change. It will happen in an instant. The second, the second thing that we know about this change in the future is that it will be radical. Not only fast, instantaneous, but it will be radical. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. In the book of Revelation chapter 21, the new heavens and the new earth are described as, the, as follows. The dwelling place of God in which he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Therefore, whoever dwells in this place must share in its characteristics. That's the point that Paul is making. Whoever dwells in this place, this future kingdom of God, he cannot die. He cannot mourn. He cannot cry. He cannot suffer. But our present bodies do all those things, and they do them constantly. But our future bodies will, now, will know these things no more. Our future bodies will be made ready for the kingdom of God. And when we see Jesus, we shall be like him forevermore. Isn't that an encouragement? Isn't that an encouragement? I know I'm telling you something that you already know. I'm not giving you new information, but isn't that an encouragement? Our future change is certain and it will be instantaneous, and it will be radical. What an encouragement. I want you to think for a moment about our sanctification. How would you describe our present sanctification? Oh, our sanctification. Let me describe it. Our sanctification is often painful, always slow, never perfect. Have you thought about that? It's often painful, always slow, never perfect. Think about all your years as a Christian and how far you still have to go. I think of all our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being sanctified at this very moment in the midst of great, deep suffering and sorrow. Sanctification is a gift from God, but let's be honest, it can be an agonizing process. And God is working through it all. And we know that all things work together for our good. But at times, it is easy to forget due to the layers of pain, suffering, and sorrow under which our sanctification is at times hidden from our view. Some are weary of fighting the same sins. One pastor said, the greatest thing about heaven 
will be the absence of sin. I am tired of sin. Are you tired of sin? You know, one of the clearest signs that God is working in your life is that you're tired of your own sins. You're fed up with your sin. You hate your sin. I think all true Christians can say amen to that. Our sin is ever present before our eyes. The battle can be brutal. Our enemy is very strong. Our hearts must fight the flesh. And I say it again, our sanctification, this current process in which we are, is often painful, always slow, never perfect. Oh, but there is a coming change. Our final glorification, the transformation of our bodies, and will be painless, instantaneous, and perfect forever. I was reminded of a man by the name of Justin Peters. Justin was born with cerebral palsy. His body, in particular, his muscles, have been deteriorating very fast. And now he has come to the point where he's completely and fully dependent on his crutches and his wheelchair. Toward the end of the movie, The American Gospel, Justin said something so relevant to this question of our future state. He said, and I quote, I may never be healed from my cerebral palsy in this life. And then he said, but that's okay. I will have an eternity without it. What a perspective. I know what you're asking at this point. Actually, I don't, but I'm going to pretend I do. You want to know what's so wrong with the so-called prosperity gospel? Or the so-called wealth and health gospel? Name it and claim it so-called gospel. You know what's so wrong, so terribly wrong with this perspective is this. They are saying that our future is already here. In more technical terms, they have an over-realized eschatology. They are teaching people that they can be healthy and avoid suffering in the here and now. But I'm telling you this morning, my friends, that is a lie. And you should hate that message because it is false. This is sanctification time. And it is often wrapped in layers of discomfort and at times even agony. So my friend, let me ask you a question. What is bothering you this morning? Are you tired of something? Are there circumstances in your life you wish you could just change? Are there people you wish would just disappear because they make your life difficult? Is there a physical condition you, have, you, you wish it would just be gone? I need to remind you of something, my friend, this morning. Even though it may be hard to see, these things is an expression of God's love for you. And this is why. God is doing in us the same thing that he did for Paul. What did God do for Paul? Listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all. All comparison. For in this tent, in this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Sanctification is often painful, always slow, never perfect. But glorification is coming. Your best life is not now, it's later. 
we shall all be changed. And fact number three, fact number three, we shall all be changed because change is victory. Change is victory. Listen to verses 54 through 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is here responding to a question. And the question is this, what will be the outcome of our future change? Or we could put it this way, to what other event is connected to our future transformation? And the answer is this, victory over death. Or we could put it this way, the outcome of our future change is the definitive and final death of death. Death will die. When our bodies are finally transformed into our new glorified bodies, the reign of death will end permanently. Why? Because we will have put on immortality, imperishability, and incorruptibility. Therefore, death won't be able to touch us anymore. Death can only be operative and effective in a world of decay. Since the kingdom of God is pure and infinite perfection, death has no place in it. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 56. Verse 56, Paul's, Paul mentions three enemies under whose power we were helpless. What are those three enemies? Death, sin, and the law. And in the mind of Paul, these three are to be taken together. Now, I understand how death and sin are evil. And I understand quickly that those things, those two are my enemies. But God's law? God's law? The Ten Commandments? Really? Why would Paul include God's law in verse 56? Now, we could, we could spend a lot of time thinking about the answer to this question, but I'm going to keep it short and to the point. Here's why the law is included with death and sin. The law exposes your sin. The law of God shining inside a man's soul is like heavy rain falling on the soil. It just brings out all the worms to the surface. The law of God drowns every attempt for self-justification. If you came here this morning thinking, preacher, just tell me how to be good and how to obey the law, you're wrong. You came to the wrong place. Let me tell you what the law does. Commandments number one and two reveal your idolatry. Commandment three reveals your blasphemous heart. Commandment number four, four reveals the disregard for God's rightful place in our lives. Commandment number five reveals our rebellion against God's created order within the family. Commandment number six reveals our angry and hateful hearts. Commandment number seven reveals the lust deep within our hearts. Commandment number eight reveals the fact that we are discontent and that leads to stealing. Commandment number nine reveals our lying tongues. And commandment number 10 reveals the ungratefulness of our hearts because we covet. The law doesn't save you. The law of God condemns you. It tells you everything that you have done against God's will. The law of God is the standard against which to measure the depths of our evil. But even though all that is true, the theme of these verses is victory, isn't it? Is victory. And in verse 57, Paul bursts into joyful thanksgiving to God for the victory we have through Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 57 again. Such an important verse. But thanks be to God 
who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 57 is an important verse, crucial. You know why? Because verse 57 brings us all the way back to the central theme of the Christian life. The central theme of the Christian life, and is this, our union with Christ. What Paul is saying in verse 57 is this. The guarantee of our future transformation is our union with Christ. Notice what Paul says. God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can Paul say this? He can because of the fact that we are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, whatever is true of him with regards to his life is also true of us. And what does the Bible say about the Lord Jesus Christ? It says this. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And of you, my Christian friend, I can say the same. Death has no longer dominion over you. Think about the three enemies, law, sin, and death. And now think about Jesus. What did he do? Law. He kept it. He fulfilled it completely. Think about our sin. What did Jesus do? He nailed it to the cross. And what's the final? Death. Well, he rose again. He rose again. He took care of every single one of our enemies. The law he kept. The sin he nailed it to the cross. Death, he rose again. What's left? Nothing but victory. So ours is the victory over death, sin, and the law because you are, we are in Christ. And what is his? It is also ours by the work of the Holy Spirit. What is our conclusion? What is our conclusion? Here's the conclusion of all this. Our present service to the Lord must be fueled by the certainty of the resurrection and of our future glorification. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I believe that therefore in verse 58 applies to the entire chapter, not just the last section. And what should keep us going in faithful service to the Lord is not the instability of our present circumstances, but the certainty of what has happened in the empty tomb and of what is to come. Meaning as we serve the Lord through the work of the local church in our families and with our neighbors in Guatemala through soccer camp, VBS, we do so standing over a threefold foundation. And here it is, threefold foundation. Number one, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Number two, because Jesus is alive, we know that Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building his church. Number three, Jesus will return and make all things new. I, uh, I loved uh, Brian's prayer this morning and how we can think of the last 10 years of the Yule's the last two for me. And it, this is a beautiful reminder of the fact that the last 10 years of his ministry among us is, will never be wasted. Nothing was in vain. You know why? Not because he's such a great teacher, and he is. But because for the last 10 years, Jesus has been building his church. 
That is the foundation. Jesus has been building his church for the last 10 years. And no sermon, no lesson will be wasted. But it is all for the building of his kingdom. Now I started, I began this sermon sharing the testimony of Todd Billings. And I want to finish by giving him the last words. In the last pages of his book, Todd said the following, and I quote, full justice and restoration have not yet come. The world has not yet been made right. And while we have real tastes of the new creation in Christ by the spirit, we still wait for the, with groaning for our adoption to come in fullness. We walk on a cross-shaped path with our crucified Lord. And yet in the end, our true story, our true life, which is none other than life in the living Christ, will no longer be hidden, but unveiled. Christ is our life now in hiddenness. But Christ will be our life then in open glory. It will be clear to all that God is bigger than cancer and all of our other calamities. Thus, whether we find ourselves in the darkness of the present time or the glorious light in the coming age, the good news is enough to bring us through that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. It is all about our union with Christ. And so thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this simple yet important and truthful reminder that at the end of the day, what matters is that we belong in body and in soul, in life and in death to our faithful Savior, in Jesus Christ. And because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, we have hope, for we belong to him. And whatever is his is now ours. Thank you for giving us the faith that we needed. Thank you for the work of the Spirit that joins us to Christ. And we look forward to the day when Jesus returns. And in the, in the, in the meantime, Father, help us to be strong as you work sanctification in our hearts. Help those who are struggling with deep sorrow. Help them to see that change is coming. And that one day we will see him and we will be like him. And all these things we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.